All right, folks, welcome to Calling Shots on a Friday. Uh, don't usually record on Fridays, but things happened uh, yesterday. I'm uh, joined today by the Cleveland Cavaliers beat writer from The Athletic, my uh, my colleague, Kelsey Russo. Uh, Kelsey, how are you doing today? I'm good, Seth. How are you? Doing okay. Have you uh, been a busy last 24 hours for you, I imagine? Very much so. Little sleep, lots of coffee, but we are <laughs> weaving through. <laughs> For sure. So when did you, uh, th- this took me completely by surprise. I was, I was actually, I was ooh, picking my daughter up from school and I got a Woj bomb saying the Cavs have acquired Donovan Mitchell. And I was, uh, uh, surprised. Um, how surprised were you? To be completely honest, I was pretty surprised as well. Um, you know, I like, I had heard that, um, that there had been like there was conversations Tuesday, but that's as far as I had heard at that moment. Um, so you know, hearing kind of getting the re- getting the report, I, I I realized like okay, it, it actually obviously went farther um, than I had originally believed. Um, so it was really interesting to kind of hear how it all took place, and you know, almost forty eight hours later, um, they you know they landed Donovan. So it was kind of a really quick turnaround um for them to for them to get him that they they couldn't have had first conversations no hours ago no no. Uh, so yeah i I think from what i had gathered like there was like conversations earlier this summer like around like summer league time um but then they sort of faded away um and then re-engaged obviously this earlier this week so what was the the sort of the uh, precipitating event was it was it as simple as well, I guess it's not happening with the Knicks because of the R.J. Barrett extension, or, or just how did it, like, you know, it's, it seems to be a very odd time with no sort of deadlines approaching. Yeah, I'm not totally sure exactly. I didn't get a clear um, picture on kind of what sparked it other than just, you know, um, I mean, the, you know, Kobe Altman and um, uh, the Jazz general manager, you know, Justin, like they've worked together on deals before, you know, like obviously when um, the Cavs traded Jordan Clarkson there um, a couple years ago. So there's, there was like, you know, there's a relationship there. Um, but I'm not entirely sure like what, what sparked it per se, you know, back again. Uh, the desire that for everyone to have a, a Labor Day weekend. Is- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the, you know, time off is, is so few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, aside from the timing, um, did you get the sense during the summer that this was a a, a, a real possibility for the Cavs? It, it, most of the kind of the reporting, and this is probably just a, a function of it being the Knicks, but it seemed like most of the reporting and buzz was just strictly about the Knicks. Oh yeah, there's some other teams involved too, but it's the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, I think because um, there's, I guess you know. I'm trying to figure out how to word it. Um, I just think it kind of, you know, the Knicks overpowered because I think, you know, there was like also an interest from a Mitchell to go, you know, to the Knicks as sure. well. But so I think that sort of um, like overpowered everything, I think a little bit. Um, but I thought it was interesting yesterday after the trade was, you know, like kind of blew up. Um, he and like, Darius and, and everybody like tweeting about it there was there is excitement you or it seems like you know there's excitement from the guys about um about the trade and everything which I think is a good thing of 
obviously bringing in an all-star to an, to a team, you know, you don't want um, to, to create any, any, any animosity early on. So it's interesting that like there's, there's early excitement from obviously not only fans, but from what seems like the players and everything about the addition and what, you know, the potential could be. Um, obviously you, you, you've only been covering him for about 24 hours. But, um, <laughs> it, do you have any sense that, that, that the Cavs were sort of on a list of, from his or, or that he was not that, not that a team would ever, you know, contact another, uh, a, a, a player who, who's on another team or anything <laughs> like that. But do you have any sense that there was kind of an understanding beforehand that this was, that this was a possible and, and, and everyone was on board? Uh, to be completely honest, I, I don't know. Um, I have been curious about that. So it is something I'm going to, I, I want to see, but for that, I'm not, I'm sure. not totally sure. But I mean, we can take it to, to whatever, whatever we can take it as with the, the social media outpouring from the various players. Yes. It seemed like there was, uh, I, I think, I believe our, our colleague, Tony Jones, uh, had, had some reporting that, that when he heard about the trade and the fact that none of the, the Cavs kind of up and coming young players were involved, um, he, he was pretty celebratory. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, I, I thought the, the his tweets with like the, the picture of him when he had a Cavs jersey on and um, the screenshot of Brian Windhorst, I thought was funny, you know, just like kind of those different <laughs> things to show of like just some some genuine um, excitement, which I think is always a good thing about like, obviously, especially in these scenarios. So I, I mean, I think that the player's excitement, I think, is a good entree into Sort of the basketball aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where do where do the Cavs think they are now um, in in sort of the, the, the pecking order of the East, having, having completed this trade? Yeah, I think it's a really great question. I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, you know, I think it sort of launches them into that upper echelon of the East. You know, kind of after their rise last year and but the loss in the play in tournament. You know, I mean, they really did believe that they could have made the playoffs if they were healthy. And I, I do believe that they had that potential. Um, but I think this launches them even higher up into that of where they should be a playoff team next year. Um, and that's that's kind of the mindset around this move of we want to make moves now. We want to be, you know, in, in that tier now. You know, granted, obviously, the top of the East is so crowded and so, like, jam-packed at the moment um, that, you know, I still think they're a bit, a bit away from like title contention, but I believe that like they should at least, you know, make a playoff appearance, gain that experience and like, and hopefully, you know, um, honestly make, maybe make it to like, you know, second round, um, semifinals, uh, conference finals, you know, that kind of thing. That's sort of the hopeful trajectory, I, I believe. Sure. Uh, Terry has been waiting patiently to ask a question basically <laughs> yes. since we started. So, uh, Terry, if I haven't uh, kept you waiting for too long, if you want to unmute and and ask away. I hate being a Knicks fan right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I mean I you know I've I've uh, you know I can't speak for you, for you, Kelsey, but I I think that uh, I almost think the Knicks dodged a bullet here. Um, the 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 difference between a, a team with the Cavs' young core. And where the Knicks are in terms of giving up what was given up in this trade, I think it's a very like 
if the Knicks had traded a bunch of picks and Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes for for Donovan Mitchell, we'd be having a conversation. Are we sure they're a top six team mm-hmm. in, in the East after this? And with the Cavs, we're talking about are they going to get home court? And mm-hmm. I think that's a substantial difference. Hundred percent, and I, I agree. I mean, I think you know, um, I don't know. I, I I just think it would have it would have. Not set the Knicks back, obviously, because you you are bringing in a three time All Star, but it would have honestly created a lot of more, lot more questions versus um, stability. I think about kind of what the Knicks look like and, and where they can go and how fast they could compete. So yeah, I, I agree. I think it's kind of a it's a two different um, scenarios, and it's it, it's interesting, especially because like you know maybe what the Knicks would have given up it was a better deal for the Jazz, but um, you know, the they Jazz still got what they wanted in the sense of being able to bring in some young t- young talent and bring in all these picks that they can either, you know, use or uh, flip in the future and, um, like, kind of restart their – or start their rebuild. So it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I, 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 Terry, I do understand your frustration, but, uh, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but I think, it, it, you know, it has been a long time um, for, for the Knicks, <laughs> but um, – being patient is, is not always a bad thing, and I think this is a good spot for the Knicks to have been patient. Yeah. it's uh, Where do you think Donovan Mitchell would fit in on, on the Knicks roster? I mean, he would be – I think the, and I, I think this is the next point, and that's a great segue. Thanks, Terry, for the question. Uh, that's a great segue to the next thing I wanted to talk to, to you about, Kelsey, is um, I think that, that the reason why I like this deal for Cleveland so much – is I don't even I, I don't think that Mitchell actually has to be the Cavs' best player. I think mm-hmm. in many ways this is a, a big bet on Evan Mobley, mm-hmm. and it's a big bet on kind of the the evolution of the Evan Mobley we've already seen, as opposed to kind of the theoretical Evan Mobley that becomes like a, a lead shot creator type player. Definitely, exactly, and I think I think that's because if you look at their starting lineup, you know it'll be Darius. More than likely, it'll be Darius uh, Donovan. The uh, small forward is going to either like could be um, Isaac Okoro or Karis Levert. Um, this kind of that's still going to obviously be worked out. Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. Okay, so you have three All Stars and Evan Mobley, who you know was uh, Rookie of the Year runner up, will probably be an All Star one day. I would assume. You know, it's like you have this really this this starting lineup that can really succeed and so um i think it's just interesting and i think the 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 fits interesting between uh with him and darius and i think it just it works really well and kind of allows um you know like you said seth uh evan to kind of excel even more so in his role and and frankly his strengths i think as as much as i think that, that it was always funny that the the uh the animosity between them, but in, in many ways, uh, Mitchell and Rudy Gobert kind of complemented each other this way. I think that, 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 you know, projecting Evan Mobley forward into what he can be as sort of the, um, you know, the switchable mobile kind of def- the, like first team all defense level player we think he can be. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty, that's a pretty natural, you know, and, and someone who can finish plays, created for him by others without necessarily being a, a great creator himself, that's a pretty perfect compliment to mm-hmm. Mitchell and vice versa. Yes, 100% agree. 100% agree. I'm really, 
I'm excited to see how, you know, kind of plays out and, and just, and what they're able to do. And, and two, you know, like I think, um, like Evan's growth in his second year is going to be really telling as well, just for like where this group can go, you know, like obviously we saw last year what he could do defensively, um, um, you know, in the paint and at the rim and, and, you know, the way offensively he like worked his way into the paint and, um, the alley-oops and, you know, all, all of those things. But I just think, you know, that was a, that was his rookie year. So just the growth that somebody takes in their second years um, in this situation is going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, thanks for the question, Terry. Uh, Shardle, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, <laughs> has, has been, uh, has been waiting as well. Uh, if you want to unmute and, and what's on your mind. This whole um, Donovan Mitchell trade to Cle- uh, Cleveland. Do you think that, they won from this trade because now Donovan Mitchell's playing for for the Cavs and he gets to play around stars like you know Kevin Love and um, Isaac Okoro and all those great players. Do you think that that you that the NBA made it made like it was a wrong decision to send him to the Cavs or do you think that he was better in Utah? Because for me, I think he was he played better with the Utah Jazz. I think the Cavs are a new team. He's gonna he's he's gonna get used to like he's gonna have to get used to playing with a new team because that's always how sports works you know when you go to a new franchise. I do. Um, I think because um, I think it's beneficial for both sides because um, the Cavs were able to upgrade their shooting guard position. You know, um, they were able to bring somebody in who can score. Um, he can play next to Darius Garland. Um, and I think their skill sets complement one another. Obviously, I know there's a lot of concerns on the defensive end of the floor, both of them being like six one, but um, they have pieces on in their front court that can really um, help make up for that. So, in true, I think um, I, there was a report the um, yesterday. I think I think it was yesterday or this morning, one of those two, um, <laughs> and I don't remember, but that you know, that, um, Donovan was really excited. Like once their trade was announced because Evan Mobley, Darius Garland and Jared Allen were not a part of the trade. So he was joining a team with those three guys on the roster. And I think that is really telling that he wants to play with those guys. So there's an excitement there. There's a willingness to play there. And yes, of course, there's always going to be, there's going to be some, a little bit of time that they, you know, in training camp and preseason, heck, even into, maybe a little bit of the regular season where there's an adjustment period because they all have to figure out how to play next to him. They've all played against him, but um, playing beside him is a different story and vice versa. Um, But I think there's also familiar faces. Like, you know, he, he knows Ricky Rubio because they were on the same team. You know, yesterday there was something on social media, like that I think Ricky tweeted the picture of the two of them. And, you know, there's, so there's excitement of familiar faces um, upcoming stars and, and young guys in the league and kind of honestly, I think too, the overall um, outlook, outlook on Cleveland after their jump last year is it does create a lot of excitement. Um, and yeah, sure. Like it's, you know, no situation is ever going to be perfect from the get go. But like I said, like I think um, a genuine excitement from guys and that willingness is going to be more beneficial and it's a trade that also benefited Utah because you know they got some young guys um in Colin Sexton in Lowry Markinen in Ochai Abaji they got you know three future unprotected picks two pick swaps like 
those are all assets that they can use um, in this rebuilding process to either draft guys to flip, like they can use them in a number of different ways that they can help them. So I think it's, I thought it was a pretty beneficial deal on both sides. Yeah. And I think that, I think I, everyone at this point had realized that the, that the Donovan Mitchell kind of uh, era had kind of run its course in Utah for, you know, they were some very good teams that, you know, for some foreseeable and for some, frankly, just unfortunate, you know, whether it was injuries or matchups or what have you, never quite were able to to duplicate their regular season success in the mm-hmm. postseason. Um, I, I would say another another piece of this is this, and certainly before, um, at least before the Rubio injury last year, um, we talked about this on Nerder. She wrote a lot. Is 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 Cleveland had among the best vibes in the mm-hmm. NBA last year. And so that's that's another. I think that would be another reason why one might be excited to join that group. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, I, but I do. You mentioned them, them learning to play together. I feel like a lot of the focus on that has been on Mitchell and Garland mm-hmm. fitting next to each other. Um, is is this something that it's, it's we're just going to figure it out as we go, or? Is there like what are the what are the thoughts about how that's going to work? How how the opportunities, how the ball is going to be divided between those two players? Yeah, it'll be it's interesting because um, I think they are a good fit offensively because I feel like both of them can play off the ball pretty well, you know. And and last year Darius took really big steps, um, you know, as the lead point guard in, in facilitating and playmaking and finding guys and everything. And so um, if, you know, Mitchell's more of a, in a scorer in that sense, you know, like they can, you know, like uh, Darius can create for him and there's kind of just that opportunity to blend their skill sets together. Right? I think they can both set up and manipulate screens as well, um, which I think is beneficial. Um, and so I, I think there's like, I just think it's kind of, in the sense of like, they just have to like, get on the floor together and play together and like, just kind of figure each other out, you know, and like, not necessarily a bad way, but just kind of like, all right, let's see how, you know, the, the, the way we just like feed off of one another and, and play next to each other and just kind of, um, just work through that. Because like, I think about, and I know obviously different position, but I think about like last year, how they, uh, how Darius was figuring out how to play with um, more so with Evan and Jarrett and Lowry when they had that really big, that three big lineup and just kind of what that looked like. And it, it took a couple of games, but they sort of like figured out and, and then it got really exciting and fun. And so I just think, you know, the time spent together. Um, but I think, like I said, I think their skill sets complement one another and um, kind of create opportunities for one another as well. Um, that can be, you know, beneficial for Cleveland. Sure. Uh, Brian uh, jumped into the queue with a question. Yeah, uh, how, how's it going, everyone? Great. Good. How are you, Brian? Thanks for joining. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, Seth, I, I ordered the the paperback book. Uh, Pre order oh, awesome. on Amazon. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> of course, of enjoy. course. So, um, you know, before this trade, uh, I was talking with my friends, and I kind of thought that Isaac Okoro could be an X factor for this team to take a ne- another leap. And especially for him as a player, because I-, I saw some stats that he ranked pretty low when it came to 
players actually like guarding him on the three point line when he has like a wide open shot. Like that statistic or some advanced analytic was pretty low on that end. So I had like a question. Now that this trade is done, obviously there's that there's that small forward spot that kind of feels not solidified between him or Karras. You know, Isaac Okoro's six five feels a little undersized for that position. Um, maybe you'd imagine, you know, he's a really good defender, so he guards the lead guard to maybe hide Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell on defense. But I just kind of like, do you do you think that? I guess what is my question here? Like, is he? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Does, does, does no, no, he, it's, it's, no, it's, you're it's, good. No, no, it's right. It's like what is like what is Isaac Okoro and how does right? That, like, yeah. What, so yeah. if he doesn't take that next leap. Do you think that's that big of a deal, or does Karis LeVert just seemingly step into that role, or do you feel like Karis kind of like clogs up that the what that offensive potential could be? So like, if Isaac Okoro doesn't, I guess, provide more offensively, like, is there still a trade in the making with like Kevin Love and Karis LeVert to try to go get another piece in, at, at that small forward range, or do you think that 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 position isn't even as important when you're surrounded by potentially four All Stars? Uh, yeah, so, so, you want to go, go first. No, you want to go first here? And then I like, yeah, I I can answer some of the, like half of that. Yeah. So, okay. So here's my thought of, I think, um, because, so it kind of goes back for me to when the Cavs drafted Isaac, they took him because of how skilled he was defensively. And that was kind of his, his role or like the, um, when he first got here, obviously after this last season, um, I forget that stat, Brian, but I remember seeing that. Like, literally, he was open in the corners, and he would hit that corner left, I think it was left, three, like, really consistently. But it's because he was literally so wide open. But he would just, like, knock him. He could hit them. But um, but I think because of the other factors on the floor, they can use Isaac to in that defensive role at small forward and just kind of let him live there. And if he can like give a little bit of offensive production, I think it sort of will balance out. I think there is an opportunity though there as well to have sort of two different lineups. Like if you need more defense, you put Isaac in. Um, If you want some more offense and you figure out how the three of them can play next to each other, you put Karis in. Like, I I think there is that opportunity there. Um, However, I will say I, I do think like, the goal for Isaac this summer was, and, and um, the Cavs said it at the end of the season, that they really wanted to um, unlock Isaac offensively. That was their goal. You know, they saw what he did defensively, and it was really important, but they really needed him on the offensive end as well. And so that's been a focus this summer. And so I think if he can just, if he can show a little bit more there and then bring what he does defensively, I think that lineup can work. Um early thoughts on it so yeah <laughs> i mean I, I no i think that <clears throat> i think that the the biggest risk for the Cavs is that Acora doesn't give enough offensively and i would always mm-hmm. like you didn't mention him when we were talking about small forward i think that if it's not Acora, it's got to be jetty osmond mm-hmm. um just i i don't the the fit with lavert with those other two like lavert has never been a good off ball player no and he is a pretty dreadful defender himself i think there's a i think there's there's you know a, a use for him on the team like he, having a third ball handler available is not not a bad thing at all but i just mm-hmm. don't like the lineup with the three of them makes no sense um as far as a core goes there's you know it's uh something that, that came out of kind of the, the Durant Westbrook OKC teams is sort of the uh, call it kind of the Andre Robertson rule, which is a, a, like for some players who are reluctant shooters, 
they could literally shoot 100% from three, but at the rate they take them, uh, the defense would still be would still be right to not guard them. And I'm not sure, I'm not saying that Okoro is there, but you at least, like the fact that you even worry about that kind of, like obviously the hypothetical is dumb, because if you made every shot, you'd take more of them. But um, But just to illustrate kind of how the unwillingness to take those those open corner threes can hurt an offense. Like that is the, that is frankly the the concern with Okoro and mm-hmm. the, and the, the other part of that is just with their with the, with the, having the two big lineup. Some a lot of the stuff that you can do in terms of using them as a cutter and a screener uh, for a non shooter isn't probably isn't as available to the Cavs as mm-hmm. it might be as it might have been for say like the Warriors with Gary Payton. Or something like that. So I think that that's 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 so that's that's a, the biggest risk for the Cavs. Um, I want to like the the uh, Brian's kind of second question was one I kind of wanted to ask you as well because looking at kind of the the Cavs sort of salary salary books and what they have, um, if there is a next move to make, it probably is a Levert or Love for someone on the wing, right? I would think so um, if they go that route because because yeah like um, Karis is up for an extension technically um, and and loves this is the final year of his contract so that's a lot of money to come off the books um, and um, but yeah I mean I think the wing has always been one of the positions for the Cavs that hasn't been the strongest um, and so I mean because it's one of the most coveted in the NBA, obviously. And once you, you know, once you get a wing, they're really hard to, it's hard to find and they're not really traded as, as often. But, um, but yeah, I think that's probably where they would look. Granted, I don't totally know who that should be. Um, and who's kind of like would make the most sense at this time, but that would make sense to me if you're going to look at those contracts, um, ones that make the most sense to move, um, money off off the books and and kind of keep your um, like out of the uh, luxury tax, you know, or keep it. I mean, at, at, around there. At, at what point? Like that that that's that's another great spot to get to. Um, this is this is not this is maybe not quite an all in move, but it's a most in move. And um, if you're if that's where you're going with the team, like. If you're going to be a contender, you got to pay the luxury tax. It's just a, mm-hmm. it's just a fact of NBA life now. Yeah. So, is is there a little bit of does this signal that there's going to be a willingness to go into the tax in 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 you know not this year but in 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 a couple of years or is it uh, well prove it and then we'll make that decision? Yeah, I think it's a great question because you know like obviously once you start the. Um, the clock on the repeat offenders, um, that aspect, you know, it, it sort of complicates things. Um, but, but yeah, I, it's a great question. <laughs> I don't know if I've thought that far ahead yet. <laughs> um, but it could, it could be, you know, if they, if, if they're looking for that, if they're looking for one more piece, they very much might have to, um, go down that route and, and, um, to, to acquire somebody. So I think it'll be kind of interesting. I don't know yeah, if it's yeah. maybe something that they do like this year, you know, if they maybe right, see right. kind of how this all sort of plays out, where they go this year, and then, you know, if that's a move at the trade deadline, if that's a move next summer. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not totally sure. It's. I mean, it's a. It's a. It's a, the needle to thread of of a mm-hmm. player who is like available, kind of for mostly for expiring salaries, who has a bad contract, but not that bad that it puts them over a barrel, but who's also good enough to be kind of a conference finals level fifth starter. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot of a lot of conditions we're kind of piling yeah. on there. Exactly. Um, and so, like, I'd, I'd, I'd have to look at the salary sheets for all thirty teams, and I and I and I, I bet I'd come up with at most like two players who fit like two and a half of those qualifications. Yeah. Or three. So, the, uh, thanks for the question, Brian. That's a, that, that, that's yeah. really yes. That is, you know, short term. That is the question. Um, so thinking thinking longer term, I mean, I think this is you know it's it's so new that that I can understand not having gotten all the way there yet. But um, you know what what do they see their 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 window as? What's their time frame? And and you know how do they help you know get themselves to where they want to go? Having used a lot of their kind of non rotation capital, I guess, to make this deal. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially too, um, because you know, like Mitchell has three years left on his deal, and then that last year, that fourth year is a player option, um, and so I think, you know, I, I I would I would assume, in in and kind of based on like the move, you know, like in that timeline, um, you know, I, I I think probably next year is is a leap into the playoffs, see where you get because I think the thing with them is that most of those young guys don't have playoff experience. And so that's, you know, um, that's, that's totally different. They have to learn that. And so, um, I think that that's going to take a year, you know, like you, you like play the play in tournament isn't the same experience, uh, as a postseason, you know, seven game series that they really need. So getting that experience, seeing where that goes, um, but I don't know, maybe by two, three years, um, like at least maybe the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, I think it's still a little like they're they're going to have to see how how this plays out. But I think that's probably the hope, you know, in the in the back of their heads. Like you don't make this kind of move to not want to go far, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I would I would think they're the goals to go. <laughs> go so, all the so, way. So this year, a successful like a, a minimum is is making the, the the playoff tournament. A successful season is 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 making the second round. And like you know, wildest dreams is like somehow is like getting like the the bank shot into the conference finals, like <laughs> like Atlanta a couple of years ago or Dallas last year. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And then like and I'm and again, I don't want to sell anybody short. You know, yeah. like they could blow no, this out of the of water. Teams. Yeah, exactly. Lot, but like, but the East is so is so there's just so many teams that are going to be in that sort of pool that um that I think it's just going to kind of take some time to see where they yeah. but but I really think yeah even I mean I think it's kind of like they'll be in the playoffs regardless and then like home court advantage is going to be you know sort of the like the the hope the the um kind of like where they're placing sort of the the floor i guess yeah so just mentioning that like the the east is you know i think there's 
depending on, on how you want to look at certain teams, there's nine like teams that legit think they should be in the playoffs at least, and then a couple more who think they have a chance. Yeah. Um, where would you, you know, up and down that list, where would you slot them? Um, I, you know, I, I don't think I don't think anyone's ready to put them on the level of Milwaukee or Boston, right? Yeah. No, I would I wouldn't say there. Um, I would say like sixth, so okay. ish. Yeah, I think um, because obviously, yeah, you have Boston, Milwaukee. Um, obviously, the Nets are still in the picture. Philly, like. Miami's still kind of in like as up there as well. So that's five right there. <laughs> um, and then, you know, then you're going to have, you know, a team like, like the Hawks who just, who over the summer, like they landed Murray, you know, and I think that's a big deal as well of they're, they're trying to, to fight their way back in. But I would say in that, you that six, like I think on the cusp, you just like, you miss the play in tournament. You, you, you move right into playoffs and maybe they're maybe they are fifth, um, but I think that's kind of where in my head I had slotted them. Yeah, I, can, I mean you could see them as you know barring like barring injuries, of course, to the, yes. the two top teams. Like you could see them finishing third. Like mm-hmm. you know who knows with Brooklyn, Miami. I'm you know I was I was lukewarm on Miami last year, and I kind of continued to be, and then then you know. Philly kind of very much depends on what version of James Harden we, we get, and it's not. Yes, there's not a, there's not a whole lot that has to transpire for Cleveland to at least in the regular season be better than those those teams. Yeah, and that's a good point. And I think, yeah, I think, I I think it's gonna be interesting of like you know how most obviously those teams all have like playoff experience, and so. You know, if those guys, not everybody plays in every outing, you know, during the regular season, they sit guys, they kind of prep for playoffs versus the Cavs are probably going to be a team that's going to play their guys, you know, every night and, and get those runs and everything. And they're they're playing more so for that. And so I just think it's a little bit, it's a little bit interesting they're like, because they're young. Yeah, they're yeah. all, they're, <laughs> they can do that because they're all really young, but um but I just think it's, it's kind of inter- an interesting aspect as well of like, um, kind of in this conversation, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I mean, the, I, get, and I guess the interesting part also is, uh, is the timing because I think of mm-hmm. those teams that we mentioned, like the only one that I, that really feels especially likely to still be at the same level in two years is Boston. I yeah, you look at you know Milwaukee is like Giannis is in his prime, but the rest of their supporting cast is is you know into a, either a little bit or well into their thirties. Miami is most of the aside from Bam, all their best players are older. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did you know uh, Brooklyn similarly? Like you know Durant is 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 not young, um, and, how, <laughs> and 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 what. Uh, how long they managed to stay together. And of course, you know, Philly, like Harden has started to show his age perhaps. And mm-hmm. Embiid is not, uh, is not necessarily a player we expect to have the longest shelf life. So just from a timing standpoint, it seems like they're well set up. Right. Exactly. And I'm, I'm sure maybe they even thought, it, you know, that was part of the thing as well. When you look at, you know, and, and I think it, cause I find that interesting of Mitchell fits really well into this age group with the Cavs, you know, like he'll be 26 next week, but, Jarrett's 24 
and Evans, twenty, twenty-one, maybe it's maybe still twenty. Uh, you know, Darius is twenty-two, so it's like they're all very young. You know, there's, um, and he so it kind of allows that room, or you know, they they can use their age to their advantage in the sense of they're young, they can put this together and, and build on it, kind of year year in year out. For sure. Um, anything else that you think we should uh, we should cover from from this deal? Um, I don't think so. I think we kind of hit on everything. I think. <laughs> well, I, I thank you for uh, for jumping on with me on what I'm sure has been a busy 24 hours from you. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. So I love I love being able to talk about it. Honestly, like talking about that about it, talking about it and through it kind of is interesting. To like hearing different people's perspectives and, and everything, because, you know, I see it one way and people see it other ways. And I think that's, I think that's cool. Well, Kelsey Rousseau of The Athletic, thank you so much for uh, joining me. And thanks folks for listening to Call and Shots and everyone have a good, safe Labor Day weekend. Take care. <laughs>